Welcome to Generation Money with David and Tyler. Today we're joined by Joanna Mathieson from Math Kangaroo. So Joanna, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and your company? Yeah, sure. Hello, David. Hello, Tyler. How are you guys? So my name is Joanna Mathieson. I am a CEO and the president of Math Kangaroo. We have 80 different competitions all over the world, and U.S. is one of the countries that uh, participate in the international math competition. And I represent uh, the USA chapter of Math Kangaroo, which is organization that takes care of engaging students from grade one to 12 in math competitions. So we pretty much make sure that once a year we have the big events, we have awards for students, grants for students, we recognize the best students that uh, win the competition, but also anyone else that participates. We make sure that every student that participates also receives some gadgets, gifts, also t-shirts and certificates. Mm -hmm. So let's get right into the questions. I wanted to ask you, what are some activities or events you experienced or anything of the sort when you were younger that played a big role that led you into your current profession? That's a good question. You guys, I understand you're in high school now, right? Yeah, so I think that's a very important age. When I think of uh, my best friendships and friendships that go on through life and all the way to adulthood, are the best ones are the ones that you start in high school. So I believe it's the most influential uh, part of your life and the most influential age when you're in high school to to be influenced not by your friends, teachers, but live events that will happen because that's the certain age. So I believe that for me, the most important part was the choice of my high school. And because I grew up in Eastern Europe, we had a special uh, way of choosing high school. It's not that you can choose any classes, but you do choose school based on something called profile. So my profile, was biology and chemistry. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to take classes in biology and chemistry. So that's what I did. I went to high school with uh, a lot of influences in this subject. But at some point, studying this subject, I understood that this is not something I would like to do all my life. And uh, I was more interested in uh, science and mathematics. And at some point, I asked myself, what is something I really know the most and enjoy the most and I found myself in my junior or senior year that wasn't biology and chemistry even though that was my goal at the age of 14 or 15 but it was mathematics and the most influential person was my teacher and when you go to high school you think oh what teacher I'm gonna get in math or chemistry I heard he's an easy teacher she's a tough teacher it's just something that you always think about and me being 14, 15, 16, I thought like, oh, I, I hope I get the easy teacher. I hope I get the teacher that's not too hard. I don't want to study too much. I just want to have B space and just go through my high school. But at the end of the day, it's something that happened that surprised me the most was that the teachers that were the hardest, the teachers I liked the least, influenced me the most. Because the biology and chemistry classes I took were good but the teachers were easy and not too hard on me and the teacher in mathematics was the least likable teacher was the teacher that no one wanted to have but at the end of my high school I understood wow 
this is the subject I know the most. And I enjoy it. And I thought to myself, maybe that's something I should do. So now looking backwards, and I'm sure you do too in the future when you graduate, you look back on your high school years and all those teachers and you think, yeah, I really didn't like this teacher because she was too hard. She made me stay up till 2 a.m. And I studied so hard and I didn't get straight A's. But I know the subject really, and it will help me to go on with my life. So that's what happened with me. So math was something the teacher was very difficult. I did not have A's in math at all in high school. I could marry, maybe barely have a B in this class, but at the end of the high school, I understood. I know the subject. I graduated. I applied to a master's program at the university in my town. And I got in and it was easy. And even when the high school preparation was very advanced and hard, later in college, I understood math wasn't that difficult because I had this good prep. So I think the teacher influenced me the most besides my parents who always valued education. It's the hard teachers and the hard classes. You think it's hard, but then you realize they were just helping you all along. Yes, but you will understand later when, when you finish your high school, then you understand, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but now it's just, I would rather have a different teacher. So you said earlier how you had an interest and skill at math compared to sciences, and you really were influenced by our teachers that pushed you more towards education. What other events perhaps in college that said, this is exactly where I want to go. I understand that you had a career change when you founded Math Kangaroo, but was there any other big roles early in your career or in college that said, this is what I want to do, or I want to do one of these things? Yes. When I graduated from college, I had a choice to go quickly and get a job and just do all my life, let's say, teaching mathematics or I could explore something else. So I loved travel and I thought to myself, besides just going straight to work and just be a teacher, I wanted to also do some travel. So in Europe, I decided to go to different camps of youth. And I think the influences of other people in other countries helped me a lot too. So I traveled from, I was born in Poland, so we studied in Poland, then we traveled to, me and my friends, to Germany, Netherlands, and I met different people, and I understood that maybe there is some other things in life I can do, not just teach mathematics, but something greater, and maybe even something international. So that kind of attracted me to explore more, and not just get to my job. I still supported myself financially, because I had a strong math skill, so I was a tutor, I influence different people on different levels of mathematics. And at the same time, I thought I may travel. So I applied to some student exchange program and I was invited by my one family in the United States, actually in Chicago suburbs. And that's how I found myself in this country, being freshly after college. And I thought to myself, what can I do? And besides being with this family and learning English, I also enrolled in some college classes, one to improve my English and also to learn all the math vocabulary that I knew really well, but not in English. So that helped me a lot. And just from the beginning, I looked around how I can be involved with my math skills. So I started teaching at some school, uh, local school on Saturdays and Fridays. And in one of the schools I taught, there was a 
teacher I met, her name was Mario Melanchuk, and another teacher, Isabella Spieg, and we together helped each other to do something more, not just regular math classes, dry math classes, but just pay attention to students that know math really well and would like to do something more. So we organized something called Math Kangaroo Competition, and it was the year 2000 when I started all the way to 2003. And in 2003, we thought to ourselves, it's a wonderful idea. And we knew that Math Kangaroo is part of international organization. There is 80 countries that organize the same competition in 80 different languages. And we wanted to be more noticed, more acknowledged, and also more helpful to students. So we thought the best way to do it would be to do, to organize nonprofit, have our articles of incorporation, and have a nonprofit status 501c3, so we can have uh, other people helping us and helping our mission. So in 2003, we filed for nonprofit status. We got it, and uh, that's how it started. Wow, that sounds really cool. So it's, you just found yourself here and you said, hey, let's try to figure out a way to make all my interests work. And then you work towards it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And the beginnings are always small and simple, but at the end of the day, you're happy with what you did because you do something extra. So most people just have their jobs, not just, but they have good jobs. They have families, but to go sometimes a little farther, which requires more work, time you have to give, and do something extra. So that's something that a lot of people do or notice now are nonprofit organizations. Now that we know that you had all of these college courses and activities that you did that helped you towards this path, I wanted to know some of your early experience starting Math Kangaroo on the side. We did Math Kangaroo starting way even before I joined in 1998. It was the first Math Kangaroo competition. Without me, I joined in 2000. And in, in 2003, we decided to have to be incorporated, but still we had very few numbers. So in 1998, we started with 32 students that were interested in doing what we proposed. In 2003, when we started our nonprofit, we had a little bit over 200 students interested in it. And we thought, how can we go from there? So having nonprofit and telling others about, especially parents, because student who is six, seven, eight, he cannot sign up and just say, I want to do math competitions, also parents, and you know it the best how your parents influenced you. So when we started in 2003, we knew that parents, schools would be something that we should reach out to and tell them about us. And once you have status 501c3 or any other 501c, let's say four or other numbers, depends on the service you do, you can have donations. People can support your mission. And being nonprofit, all donations are tax deductible and that attracts people to support your mission if they like it. So once we have relationship with parents and teachers who have students in smaller grades, lower grades, one, two, three, 
And we have a service we offer to students all the way till grade 12. Parents, teachers are more willing to support our mission throughout the years. And that's how we grew because students that registered to the competition for math angry event, he was in grade one or two and he stayed with us all the way till grade 12 or eight or nine. Then how we grew. And so each year we add 100 more, 200 more, 300 more, 500 more, 1,000 more. And last year we had over 35,000 students that are interested in this idea. And also we noticed that a lot of teachers, parents, educational services support our mission because they see the fruit of our labor, I would say. When you see the interest of students, when you see the influence we do on young students, especially young students, how they're interested not just in math, but in hard work, because just going to school and getting your grade is one thing, but getting the grade better than your classmates or beating your grade that you had last year and this year is better, it gives you additional joy and additional fulfillment of success one step ahead of myself or others. So I think competition and, and this kind of rival, I would say, helps people to get better each and every year from year to year. Are there any difficulties you had when starting out? Because most people don't know what they're doing when they're starting an organization, I'm guessing. So was there any difficulty figuring out the logistics, where you're going to do things, how to get organizational status? Yeah, so when you start a nonprofit, first thing you have to know, you have no money, right? You just have an idea. You have an idea to do something fun, something good, and you really believe in it, that it's a great idea. But the main thing you have to do is to persuade others that it is a really good idea, first of all, to join you, and second of all, to maybe give you some financial support. So that's the biggest thing, I think, because to file the Articles of Incorporation, all the paperwork, when you do it the first time, it is hard, so it's always good if you have help from others. But I think the biggest idea was to make sure that people know about you, how to promote yourself, how to be noticed, and that's one thing. And also one thing I noticed is not how to be discouraged. Because people, you always find people who say, oh gosh, what idea you have, I don't know, it's not going to go anywhere, it's going to spend a lot of time, you won't make any money in it, and uh, maybe people don't even notice this thing on your resume, so why, why bother? So I think not to be discouraged is one of the biggest things, and also teamwork. So when you have people, you, you, when we started, we, there was only three of us, and for many years, there was only three of us. We do have... So we did have some volunteers, teachers, helpers who help us to manage different situations, manage the competitions in different states, but all was voluntary and it's very difficult to find people and tell them, can you help me? Can you work for me? But I'm not going to give you any money for it. <laughs> so I think that's the, something that especially young people may find hard. When people have more money, they're adults, they're more free over time, okay, I can help you out. But when you're young and you start your organization, I think it's important to remember that having devoted people that believe in your mission and will do it 
just because they believe in it is important. And uh, patience, because I'm sitting here 17 years later after we started our NFP, and I still feel like there's so much to do. There's so much, so many things that people should know about us. And people tell us, you should know these people about it, that people about it. And we feel like we worked for 17 years and there's still so many people don't know about us, but would like to know about us. It's not that we would push our ideas, but we know there's a lot of people out there who would like to know about us, do what we do, but they just don't know. So I think another thing you should, we had a difficulty with, and now it's easier. In 2003, was more difficult, which is marketing. So you have all the options now that you have with technology, social media that help you a lot. There was no social media at that time. And the marketing, when you don't have funds, it's very difficult. So I think these were the challenges we encountered. And that's why the growth wasn't rapid, like maybe it would be if I would start this year, but slow. But still, we grew and we were happy what we did each year. So there's always more space to grow. But how do you know when to go from part-time to full-time? So you started out small and you filed to become an organization. But at what point did you say, I can leave my job now or I can focus completely on this? That's a very good question, David. Because that's what we did for many years. We just had our own jobs. I was a full-time employee. I was a math educator, worked in different, teaching different level mathematics, high school, college. My friend worked in communication and she worked for AT&T. Another person worked in accounting. So we all had full-time jobs. We started just on our free time. So for many years, it wasn't two years or five years, 10, 15 years, 20 years. So when we had our full-time job, so everything we did was during lunch break, in the, during, and it probably hits home, or in the evening, on the weekend. So all was done during our free time, and we were not paid money for it. We just did it because we believed in our mission. But at some point, when you grow, there's more and more job to do. And at some point you understand like, I cannot do it anymore on the weekend. There's so much. And you also have more financial support to pay people to do things that has to be done. Otherwise it will not be good for your organization. So I think the growth takes a very big a part of it. So when you have 17 years ago, 32 students to deliver material, to tell them about competition, to open the classroom, to provide everything for them that we need. It's one thing. But when you have 35,000 in 47 states, it's very difficult. You cannot just do it in the evening or on the weekend. So I think the growth, the amount of uh, work you have to do contributed to the um, decision that we decided to go from part-time to full-time. And it was only a few years ago when we decided, okay, we have to just focus on our mission because we're growing and people are knocking on our, on our doors, like telling us we really want to do it, help us to develop this, 
and then also people came with different projects, different ideas to do, then you have to have time to oversee the ideas, to see which pro project do make sense to be developed, which do not. So I think that was the breaking point when you have so many members and so much work to do that you just, you cannot just do your job regularly and only have a couple hours on the weekend to do it. Like the organization tells you, yeah, now's the time when you have to commit to me. <laughs> yes, yes. And when you think organization tells us, I am the organization. So I am the one and two of my other board members are. So we feel like we are the ones that have to make the decision. We are the ones that have to decide what's the best for the organization to grow. So that's, that's the important part. And also the part that we are part of the International Math Kangaroo Association contributed to the fact that we are obligated to grow, not just for us as in the U.S., but also to show that U.S. students are capable of following through and they are interested and happy to participate in our events. And that also brings some pride and some motivation for us to just grow even bigger and at the end just have full time, just full time commitment. So talking about how you were doing all of this on your free time with on your own time with your friends who believed in the same cause that you believed in, why did you decide to take so take all this time and start a nonprofit versus a for profit organization? Before we move on, please do not forget to subscribe to our podcast, Generation Money, wherever you get your podcast. If there's anything you want us to talk about or anything to add to our podcast, please let us know. Without any further delay, back to the podcast. That's a good question. I think the main uh, point, one main uh, idea in nonprofit is the fact that we do not focus on making money and the name tells you everything right for profit not for profit and the name not for profit doesn't mean that you cannot make profit because you do but this is not your main idea so for profit company the main focus is to make the highest revenue just make a lot of money and that's their focus our focus is not-for-profit and supportive donations. So we believe in the idea of being supported by others and noticing how people would like us because people see you differently when you look at the profit and how much money you want to make and you own organizations. So in for-profit, you own it, you're the owner, all the revenue you keep for yourself or give to your employees. In nonprofit. It's an idea, it's an organization that the money is never yours. You can't own the organization. One day you will walk away and you would not say, okay, I'm walking away and taking my revenue. You leave it for the people that worked with you. So I think we like that idea of nonprofit because of the service we do for the students. And at the same time, as I mentioned before, we did have our own jobs. So we didn't think of starting something to make money on, but we thought of a service. And I think the servant heart is something that we thought of 
with the Law for Students, all of us really had in mind to help others. And by helping, you don't always think of for profit, but not for profit. And we knew that people seeing our mission and uh, what we do would support our mission. And when you're for profit, people are not going to support you because they know you just want to make money on them. When you are not for profit, people will donate money for you. If you see something is um, worth donating, something is worth supporting, they will. And uh, one other thing that we notice and we know are not about nonprofit is when you grow, more people donate money and you, are, you have more funds in your bank. And one of the ideas is for profit, let's grow, let's have more and more and just be rich. With nonprofit, you think, okay, we have more money now. How can we use this money to support our mission? So this is the two differences. So when you think of nonprofit and when you have funds, you think, what can we do with this money to help others? So that's something that is different, not to grow our bank account, but to use the money we have. And in nonprofit, it's never good when your nonprofit has big bank account and you have so much money. It's not good because that means you grow, but you're not using the money for your mission. And that's what you were meant to be, to support your mission, help your cause, look at your mission and what you believe in and support with the money. Because the money you have is not yours. These are people's money who supported your mission. So that's one of the things that we believed in and we wanted to do nonprofit, not for profit. Yeah, so we've been talking about some big picture ideas. I think let's take it a bit smaller. So you're CEO and president and you have to focus on making sure that the projects are running smoothly. You have to make important decisions. But do you have any day-to-day -day routine? Do you have a daily call, a weekly call, a daily check-in, something like that? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. With my job, I would look at my schedule, not as daily, but seasonally. It's by season. So every year is the same and we are really busy in the fall and spring and less busy in the summer. So everything is by season because the main event that we organize is Math Kangaroo event in March, which is the third Thursday in March. And a lot of work has to be done in the fall and later in spring to prepare for this event. So we do, we communicate with our teachers, educators, volunteers that prepare Math Kangaroo in almost 50 states now. So the communication is really important and it's mostly virtual. So even though most people went virtual now, we were always virtual because we, not the event itself, but the work we did, because the communication we do is via email, text, website, social media now. So everything is virtual. So the main seasonal work is preparing the competition in the fall, delivering everything that we promised to deliver in spring, and making the event real in March. So these are the seasonal work that we do. And on day-to-day -day basis, there's never the same day in my job. There's never one day is the same, like I have to make a call, I have to make this or that. Most times our communication via email, 
sometimes Zoom meetings, sometimes in-person meetings. The nonprofit has an obligation to have at least one board meeting. So we always make sure that we have one board meeting. We live in different states, so it's not easy. We don't, oh, I live in Indiana now. My friends live in uh, Chicago. All other people that work with us work in different states. So it's not always easy to meet in person, but we try to make it once a year. Yeah, so you're spread over such a far distance. Do you think you take a, a more direct role in everyone's uh, job and say, this is what we need to do? Or is it you say, here's a couple jobs you need to get done. I trust you to do it the best you can. In our organization, we have people that are responsible for certain things. So there's a accounting person and I don't tell her what to do because she knows what to do better than I do. So there's a responsible person, a CFO, who does all the financial work and she's responsible for all the bookkeeping, making sure the forms are submitted. Uh, now we have also audits, so making sure she works with auditor and all work is done on an annual basis. That's the one thing, one person. Another person is responsible for updates on our website and make sure everything's up to date, but I decide what should be updated and she does that part. Another person is responsible for designing different t-shirt designs that we give to students or toys or different posters. So that's a designer. She does this job. Another person responsible for communication with teachers that would like to start math kangaroo at school or educational institution. So she communicates with them all the time. And so it's most of the time if people know what to do and there's always a meeting and questions, was it done properly? Is it worth going forward with this? Or we look backwards as a team and we think, Last year didn't really work, let's don't continue doing it this year. Or we think something worked really great and we want to implement this for this year. So it's a teamwork. So it's never something I tell people what to do, but we have a group of people, we have meetings, ideas, and I think the main part is to make a final decision, which the president makes. But all other things are decided pretty much by the group of people because the nonprofit is not one person. It's at least those three board members that decide on main decision. And it's and with nonprofit, there's I can make a decision, but I can be voted out. If it's a big decision and people don't support me, there is a vote, three people, unrelated, and two of them they say, we really don't like your idea. And I'd be, okay, let's think of something else. I think that's the difference between for-profit and not-profit because we have voting and it has to be decided as a board, not as one person. So I know that your company is mainly, or your organization is mainly virtual and all of you guys live in different states, so you communicate via mostly online communications. How did your organization change due to COVID and what, what is your company doing right now to change the or adjust to the situation? It's a great question because even though we work online, but our event, the main thing we do was in person. So 
we had a huge change because of COVID. It happened so abruptly. Last year, actually this year in 2020, in March, schools were closed mid-March, most of them throughout the country. And our math kangaroo competition was scheduled to happen on March 21st. And schools started closing and we delivered all the t-shirts, tests, toys, pencils, uh, scantral answer sheets to hundreds of schools. And we are sitting there and thinking, okay, one school canceled, like one week before our event, one school calls us like, our principal decided close the school next week. We won't have it, what should we do? And then we thought to ourselves, okay, that's one school, we can accommodate one school. But there was the second school and the third school. And we, we just didn't know what to do. Should we just go with the event and once on, let's say 100 schools and not go with a few hundred other schools? So at the end of the day, two days before the event, 99% of schools cancel. They say, sorry, we cannot do your event. So it was really difficult because all the work we did to make sure everything is just the way we want it. Everything is delivered. Everything is for students that are waiting and they study for a whole year to win this gold medal or blue ribbon or a big award or a grant. And we were just, oh, what should we do? So we were frustrated. But at the same time, we had to find a way to deliver what we promised because people donated for a cause. They paid a membership fee. So we didn't want to just say, oh, forget about it. It was COVID, just excuse us. No, we decided to come with ideas because a lot of people have those excuses, right? I'm sorry, COVID hit, we can't do it now. So we could have those excuses too, but we thought, no, we have to do something. So we decided first time ever to have online math kangaroo and all the tests that we had, paper tests, we basically also had electronic versions of it. So we typed all the things from electronic PDFs to the software that we found very helpful. And we decided to postpone math kangaroo competition a month later and let students do the same exactly test online from their home. So there was one huge change. One trick there was that we are big on making sure all is done properly with proctors and proctoring rooms with making sure no one uses the calculator because calculators are not allowed during this competition. And we thought to ourselves, how are we going to proctor 35,000 students with the tests that we didn't know how it's going to go? We've never done it before. So that was a big challenge. So we decided to open the test for all students online a month later, or actually six weeks later. So instead of March 21st, we started at the end of April, beginning of May, all the way till mid-June to have students take the test with a certain open window because we didn't feel like telling the student, okay, you didn't come in March, so you have to come, you have to do this test May 23rd at 7 p.m. So we felt, felt, let's give them a little more space. Everyone was stressed out. A lot of students were out of school or just doing online. So it was a very difficult time for everyone. So we understood that and we had our online platform for students to take it from home. And 
we did send a message, make sure you do it alone. Your parent may help you with technology, but not answering your test. So that was a challenge. And some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. We knew there would be some people complaining that it wasn't done the way it was in the past, that we didn't have proctors. Some students maybe got help from pair, from the parents or older brother or sister. That's what we did. So the main idea, the main change, what we did was not really with the work we do because we still work from homes, but how the event took place, which is that main thing we work for. It was just completely online, first time ever. Wow, so you really had to completely change it up last second because of COVID. It was last second, yes. The last school canceled like two days before the event. So we just started the list of schools and then we just said, ah, oh, forget about it. We're not going to just write all the hundreds of schools because 99% of them decided not to have the school open. So we just had to have everything online, which worked well. At the end, a lot of students appreciated, especially parents, that because that kept everyone safe and um, accessible for everyone. So you didn't have to go to the building, school building. You didn't have to think, oh my gosh, what happens if I get infected? So it was a good decision and we're happy we did it. Yeah. Okay, so to close this off, do you have three recommendations for high school students who want to start a nonprofit, who want to go into education, but aren't really sure how? Is there anything they can do now? Yeah, I think, first of all, to start a nonprofit, you have to think, do you have anything you believe in very strongly that you would like to do? Think about the cause and how much this cause is close to your heart. So if you have some ideas that are very important to you, think about if you would like to start a nonprofit based on your mission, you believe in it. And also think of whom you would like to serve and why do you want to do this nonprofit? Is it someone in need or is it someone you want to help grow? So these are things you have to ask yourself and also, how do you see yourself supporting your organization? Do you think people would believe in you and would think of joining your cause and helping you? Or this is something you have this idea, but uh, you're not sure if people would go for it. So I think the main thing is how many people believe what you want to do when you want to start a nonprofit? So when you think of high school, let's say you're in high school age now, how many people you think you can join? Because the more, the better, obviously, and the more people believe in your cause, the more successful your organization will be. And also think about the fact that nonprofit organization will never belong to you. It will always belong to the everyone, right? And the cause you serve. And when I, when we started nonprofit, that's how it was. And you as a high school student, you have your full-time job and your job is to be at school all the time. So starting nonprofit at high school, I think it's very, it's a great idea. And, but also think, do you have time to give for your nonprofit? Because you would have to have time to, to commit for your cause. So that's the main thing. And if you have funds, do you have people that will support you? And I remember when a few years ago, I read a wonderful book It's called Leadership Challenge. You can, I don't know if you read this book. Oh, we haven't. No, 
it's a wonderful book that I would recommend to everyone because if you want to start a nonprofit, I believe you want to be a leader. You want to lead others or at least with other people that would start the nonprofit with you. So the leadership challenge is something that helped me with thinking of the way, how I can serve through my work to others. And, and I think that's the main thing you have to think about. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We had a great time speaking with you and learning so much about your organization and Map Kangaroo. Hopefully we'll see you in the future. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, David. That's the end of the episode. Before you leave, if you're in high school and you're interested in business, economics, or entrepreneurship, any of the sorts, please check out the Junior Economic Club at junioreconomicclub.org. David and I are both members and they organize amazing events where you can learn so many new things about business and meet other like-minded students and business professionals. If you are a current professional and would like to share your own experiences and tips, please contact us at david at junioreconomicclub.org or tyler at junioreconomicclub.org. Both of our emails will be linked down in the description below. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or any specific topic that we covered, please let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Anyhow, that's all for now. See you guys next time.